Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about Mighty and Magnificent is Dr. Carol Penn. Dr. Penn, doubly board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine, as well as being a master movement, meditation, and mindset coach, brings more than 40 years of experience and expertise in mind-body medicine and the movement sciences. Gifted with the ability to inspire and educate about self-care, Dr. Penn brings a unique set of skills to her work as a physician. She is also a two-time best-selling author and her book, Meditation in a Time of Madness, launched in 2019. How are you doing today, Dr. Penn? I am wonderful and so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Jason. Absolutely. I'm so much looking forward to our conversation, Dr. Penn. But before we get started, for those that are joining us for the live webinar, if you have any questions, type those questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Dr. Penn, I mentioned the book, uh, Meditation and Time of Madness. Can we go into a little bit of background on how, you, how that got started? Well, it got started, um, I am so honored to be on the faculty for the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, where we do trauma-informed workshops and trainings here in the United States as well as abroad. And very sadly, tragically, after the Marjorie Stillman Douglas shooting down in Broward County in Florida, we were invited down uh, really a, a multi-year project to work with the school system, the fifth largest school system you know, in the United States, and with this community, so all the, all the stakeholders, so the police department, the school department, the, the health department, because the community was actually overwhelmed emotionally, psychologically, after that shooting occurred. And I was down there and I was, it was, you know, toward the end of um, my week there, and it was just before school was supposed to start. And I was talking to a little boy about eight years old. The shooting had happened in February. It was actually Valentine's Day. School year finished out. They had the summer, but now it was time to go back to school. And I said to this little boy, I said, well, you know, what are you looking forward to about the upcoming school year? Are you ready to go back to school? And he said, no, I don't think so. I think I might get hurt if I go back to school. And then I asked him, well, what do you mean about that? And this little eight-year-old was aware of the shooting. He was aware of what had happened. He knew someone who lost their life in the shooting. And I felt so sad. This child had you know, lost that childhood innocence at the age of eight. At eight, I couldn't wait to go back to school. I was always looking forward to the new backpack and the new crayons and the school clothes. And here was this kid you know, having this conversation that even adults shouldn't be having. Yeah. And he said, you know, Dr. Penn, you know, I don't think my parents can keep me safe. I don't think my teachers can keep me safe. And I don't even think anybody in the government can keep me safe. And I was like, oh my God, you know, out of the mouths of babes. But it was chilling and it broke my heart. And I got back on the plane and I just started writing about these tools of resiliency and these tools of self-regulation. So meditation, visualization, guided imagery, getting enough sleep, getting proper nutrition, that I felt I was pretty sure that even younger and younger children were going to need these tools as were their families and the adults in their lives. 
And of course, things don't seem to have gotten much better since the summer of, you know, 2018 going into the book was published in February of 2019 to, you know, here we are, we can still say the same thing, meditation in a time of madness with all the, the pandemic, with, with uh, food deserts and food hungry, in the midst of an obesity pandemic, in the midst of a pandemic on racism and racial inequality. So, so many more things living large in the world other than, you know, the horrible violence that we were facing up until that time. And so, you know, hence the need for the book is more relevant than ever. And what I want to see is I want to see the interaction between parents and their children mm -hmm. doing this together teachers and their students doing this together so that the generations are able to communicate with each other and know that we all need to work together and do our part to move forward. Yeah. I'd like to take a step back, if you don't mind. I'd like to, you and I had, were sharing a, an amazing conversation about your father um, and you had coined it your aha moment as it, as it regards to anti-aging and, and Kijong. I was wondering if you can share that story. Oh, absolutely. It's it's certainly one of, uh, of my favorite stories. So my dad and I were very, very close. And uh, this was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, I had actually had foot surgery and my father was being treated for, for, for cancer, disease and illness related to cancer. And we decided we wanted to have at least one more father-daughter adventure. Well, now I was non-weight bearing, so trying to figure out, hmm, how are we gonna, you know, work around that? So we decided to study uh, Qigong together. And here I was learning the beautiful movements in a seated position. And there's my dad, my dad was very tall. So the six foot four tall, 87 year old gentleman, just, you know, really just a magnificent structure of a guy, of a human being. And he's 87 and he's doing these beautiful, graceful movements. And that's when I had my aha movement because one of my biggest fears is not being able to move. And here I was, you know, a, a dancer, an athletic person, having some movement limitation. It was really bothering me. But I was like, oh my goodness. So me sitting here learning this Qigong now with my dad, who's 87, this is me being kind to my future self. This is me, this is my, my anti-aging aha moment or my aging gracefully and mindfully movement. And I like to think of that because I, I, I do like the idea of being able to accept aging and see the possibility of it, the golden nuggets in it. And I said, this is me being kind to my future self. This is the movement I'll be able to do in my 80s and my 90s. So I, I, I'll say that was one of my dad's greatest gifts to me toward the end of his life was taking this course with me and just, you know, watching him move with such grace, agility, and power and, and control. And I was like, ah, there I am, 80s and 90s, I'll be doing the same thing. You know, the, my takeaway in listening to your story is, is as we age, I think we just want to feel better as we get older. And so inviting some type of movement into our lives is important. Um, and I, I imagine the 40 plus years, you, you probably feel the same. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, one of my taglines is movement is my medicine of all of the things that we can do in life. You know, life begins in, in movement. So we have, you know, the sperm and the egg, you know, they move together and they spin to make a zygote and then a blastocyst that implants. And then the cells keep dividing until eventually, you know, we have the embryo. This is all, we are in, movement precedes everything. Movement precedes even breath itself. And so we are designed, we are masterfully designed to move our entire lives. I'd like to shift a little bit to meditation. Can you explain what mindful meditation is and the benefits? Absolutely, absolutely. So my definition of meditation is to be in a state of relaxed awareness. And there are many pathways to get there. So there's concentrative, as a, as a big broad brush throw, concentrative meditation where you might be repeating a mantra, for example, or a repetitive phrase over and over again. There's mindful approaches to meditation where you are focusing on the activity, you're focusing on what you're doing, you're, you know, you're aware of the sensations and the emotions and the feelings as they arise in the moment. And then finally, there's expressive meditation, and that's meditation that involves any form of movement. And we just discussed one of those, which is Qigong, Tai Chi, certainly. Um, looking at the martial arts aspect, yoga is an, another one. And you can even, you know, things like Pilates, which is a combination and, and more, you know, evolved in the modern day, but all of these things, can evoke this state of relaxed awareness. There's even laughter yoga, where a good laugh can evoke this state of relaxed awareness. And this is what you're trying to do. And so physiologically, what happens, the breath will slow down and we're recruiting more nutrients from our oxygen, picking those up in the deep uh, capillary rich beds that are deep in our lungs because we're not just breathing up here anymore, but you know we're using our entire lungs, going down into the base of lungs. This tells the body to relax. And when the body begins to relax, it tells the mind to relax. And the mind in turn says, well, I'm gonna re release some hormones like oxytocin, oxytocin known as the love hormone, which allows us to be in greater relationship with each other. So after we meditate, we're usually a lot nicer to be around. Then it releases endorphins. Endorphins is the body's way of, of mediating and controlling pain. So people usually notice when they're meditating, Hmm, they're not in pain or, or afterwards, you know, they're, they're not in pain anymore because these endorphins are now circulating. We're releasing our neurotransmitters. So the serotonin and the dopamine and the acetylcholine, as well as the, the GABA, the great inhibitor. And when these are all in balance, well, mood is elevated. So it's wonderful for anxiety and depression and also quelling our fears as the amygdala, that little almond shaped structure, right? Like kind of in the center of our brain and the center of the hippocampal region, 
literally quiets down. If you were to put a person and do a brain scan at the time, you would see a quieting of the colors around the amygdala. And then finally, the rate that the brain actually fires. So the frequency of the firing of the brain begins to slow down. So you go from the beta state, which is where I am now, you and I talking, thinking, reasoning, into alpha, into theta. And if you get real, real sleepy, you might slip off into, into delta. So these are all how the body and the mind work together to bring around a physiological, neurobiological state of relaxed awareness. So it's mind, body, and spirit. And, and this is why meditation, whichever form works for you, is so fabulous. And we know it lowers blood pressure. It also lowers the amount of sugars that are circulating in the bloodstream. So people think, oh my God, you must have to meditate for hours to get all those benefits. The physiological changes actually start to occur in as little as three minutes. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that. So I, I think there's a, I'll call it a stigma, but people are a little, they're unsure of how long do I do meditation? What happens if I start to think differently while I'm going through this process and what happens, when do I, when do I notice, you know, these types of improvements? Well, it's interesting because people do have the idea that if you're meditating correctly, it means you don't have thoughts. Well, no thoughts means dead. It's the job of the frontal lobes to think and reason and to produce these thoughts, 60, 80,000 thoughts in a day. But what happens is the thoughts slow down and you begin not to have the, the monkey mind. And I mean that in two ways. Monkey mind is when the thoughts are just you, you know racing, racing, racing. A lot of people say they can't sleep because the thoughts keep coming. But then the thoughts start to slow down and you also learn to become the observer and not the, the busy monkey mind in the middle of it. Many of us have a thought and we go chasing down that thought and we get all involved in the business of that thought. Most thoughts are simply, we could just kind of watch them drift by like a cloud drifting by in a clear sky and then go back to our breath, go back to our, our mindful awareness, noticing our surroundings, noticing the sensations that are coming up. So I want to just dispel that notion that you're going to stop thinking. And then once you stop thinking, that means you've had a successful meditation. The other thing that you, you might notice, some people do notice, um, particularly when they first start, that, oh, they don't stay awake. They just go to sleep. They get sleepy right away. And part of that is because we are, for the most part, as a culture, overtired. And most of us are running around and sympathetic overtones. So that's your fight, flight, or freeze response versus our parasympathetic tone, which is kind of our rest and relax or our rest and repose response. And meditation brings these two aspects of the autonomic nervous system into balance. And then once, like anything else, the body starts to adjust, you'll find, oh, I can stay alert now. I'm not going to immediately fall asleep. And again, I tell people, start out in little short pieces. Five minutes is long enough. Five minutes once a day. 
to and, and to be consistent. And you don't have to, you know, sit quietly with your legs crossed. You can put on some music and just move gently and dance. You can enjoy that. You can enjoy a little, you know, yoga practice. And if that makes you feel relaxed, guess what? You've achieved a meditative state. It took me 20 years before I could sit down. And then seriously, I was practicing yoga for close to 20 years before I could really enjoy a seated, quiet, meditative practice. The one that most people, you know, picture in their mind's eye with someone, you know, sitting and, you know, with their eyes closed and, you know, maybe, you know, their hands with, you know, thumb and forefinger together or a hand mood or any of those things that people picture and, and imagine. Yeah. You have a wonderful blog on your website um, talking about it. I'm just going to read this. It says, the five areas that benefit from cultivating a mended mind and balanced belly. And these five benefits, Dr. Penn, as you know, are positive self-esteem, health and strength, empowerment, emotional stability, and grounded balance. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff there. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, even when, you know, I'm teaching uh, Qigong, I teach a form called Zong Fu or organ cleansing Qigong, you know, and it really involves, you know, the five organ systems that you know, Chinese medicine recognizes. But before you even get into those movements, there are movements that are grounding movements. And these, this idea that grounded balance to just literally feel that your life is in balance, that you're not helter-skelter, that you're not disorganized. And some of those movements are, are, are very simple. Can I demonstrate one to- Absolutely. So, all right, so again, seated, I'm just gonna I'll push back. You don't need a, a whole lot of room. And you just bring your the web of your thumbs together. It doesn't matter which hand is on top. And you're gonna just, you know, press it, you know, right below the navel area and just begin to make little circles on the abdomen. Doesn't matter which way you go, just start intuitively whatever way you want to go and just in making these circles and you know you'll notice the warmth of your hands and again the sensation that you're being soothed that you're being brought back to earth in a very very gentle way that by itself can be a practice so sometimes after, you know, now that we live in the virtual synchronous world and we're Zooming all day long or, <laughs> you know, on these, these meetings to about every 20 minutes or so, just to get up and do, you know, a very gentle grounding motion like that, just to bring myself back down, to notice the breath, to notice the breath to notice the body, to imagine my feet and my sitting bones going like roots toward the center of the earth. And that is surprisingly refreshing and rejuvenating. You don't need a lot of room to do it at all. You just need to, you know, to be mindful, to be aware and say, you know, it's time for me to step away. Let your eyes look down and away from the screen. 
take a nice deep cleansing breath in and literally in one minute or less, just shift your awareness. And you'll find that, whoa, what follows next, you do feel energized, you do feel refreshed. And again, almost anybody can do that. Excellent. Um, I'd like to move to mindset, Dr. Penn, if we could. So I'm not sure if I'm using the right term, but how can somebody go about rewiring their mindset? In other words, to get the best of themselves or to be able to reach their full potential? Well, again, very, very important question. So one of the things that um, when I'm working with, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or I'm working with a group of people, I really work with a person to understand their purpose in life so they can state it to themselves. Because again, a lot of times we get so overwhelmed, we don't know what to say yes to, what to say no to. However, if one can really craft their purpose in life and look at everything, and I mean everything through the lens of their purpose in life, it just makes everything else so much easier. So for example, I kind of know what to say no to when I put on, you know, you know, use like my eyeglasses. When I put on the um, eyeglasses that say, okay, these are my purpose in life lens, and I'm looking at it through that lens, ah, you know, it doesn't look so clear. That is, so that's that's a good idea, but not for me right now. That's something else. So a lot of people, again, you know, they, you know. The good news is you cannot not fulfill your purpose in life. We're just genetically designed to do that. The bad news is, is you can live your entire life not being able to state your purpose in life to yourself or to know it yourself. So that's the first step. And a little hint that I'll, I'll give our audience, think about your gifts. So I want everybody to think about five gifts. Gifts are what other people tell you you're good at. You don't necessarily think about it because it could be just something that's just, you know, very, very natural. So someone says, oh, you know, Jason, you're really, really good at organizing. And because it's a gift, you might take it for granted and you might not notice that at all. And then I say, ask the person, now think about five passions. So your gifts plus your passions will point you directly to your purpose in life. And once we get that down on paper, I then begin to help a person refine that so that they're able to say their purpose in life, most importantly to themselves, in 50 words or less. And the other thing I do is I really work on the fundamentals of meditation. I help a person discover what is the med best meditative pathway for them. Meditation is absolutely fundamental at all ages. So is it a concentrative meditation? Is it mindful meditation? Or is it somewhere in the realm of the expressive meditation? And people ask me all the time, well, what's the best form? I always give the same answer. It's the one you'll do. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's stick with mindset, if we could, Dr. Penn, and talk about the importance of using a symbol. Um, or you had mentioned uh, maybe an object like a vision board. Absolutely, absolutely. So vision boarding is one of my favorite things to do. So visualization 
the mind does not really know the difference between something that you visualize versus something that's actually happening. And so we know this from the studies with elite athletes, and that's the difference between being on the platform or being at the gold medal versus the silver medal. It comes down to, you know, milliseconds and, you know, milli, milli, millimeters and these little, little tiny um, instruments of, of measurement. And the elite athlete will visualize they're listening to their music or they're visualizing their swimming stroke. Uh, you hear some of the greats talk, uh, you know, uh, talk about that. You hear some of the great uh, basketball players talk about that. And people say, well, you know, are you sitting over there asleep? And they're, you know, like Kobe Bryant, the late great Kobe Bryant, he says, no, my eyes are closed and I am seeing every move. I'm seeing my next move. I'm seeing my next shot. And the mind is making the basket, even though this person is sitting on the bench with their eyes closed. And this is why visualization is so very important. So when we make a vision board, I tell people not just to put pictures on it of things that you want, but it's important to put things on it in terms of how you want to feel. How do you want to feel in relationship, in relationship to what it is your goal or what it is that you want to accomplish? So there on the vision board, and then you must display it in a place where you're gonna look at it. And when you look at it, the brain goes through its own mini visualization exercises. So the more you look at it, the more the subconscious brain starts to scan and look for evidence as to why this is so and how I can make this so, how I can make this true. So this is the, the secret sauce of vision boards and why vision boards actually do work. You know, this is like, oh my goodness, I, I put on my vision board that I wanted X and I wanted to feel happy and joyful. And well, you know, pretty soon I was feeling happy and joyful and then X showed up. Well, and some people, you know, they think it's kind of like, you know, magical. It's not so magical, it's how our subconscious brain works and how it will work to attract and to manifest what it is in your life that makes you joyful and happy. And if it's picturing it next to, you know, a redesigned kitchen or a beautiful piece of jewelry, well then of course that's what it's gonna look for in the external. Is a vision board evolving? Absolutely. It is something that evolves, it is something that is living. I recommend that people, uh, you know, do many vision boards you know, they can have a journal, they can do with a journal. I do something called three drawings, with draw, draw yourself as you are right now, draw yourself as you would like to be, and then draw the steps that it's going to take to get there as an example, as three drawings. And those could be, you know, again, little mini vision boards. If you do a, a, a big one that's going to be stationary on a wall at home, I'd say, you know, try to update it like, you know, twice a year because things change, right? I was talking, I did a vision board with a group of people on Thanksgiving morning and I was talking to one person who said, oh yes, you know, vision boards. I used to carry a little vision board journal just the way you're talking about. And she says, but you know, 
it's been a while. My daughter's 12 and I did that when she was two. So, you know, <laughs> and a lot of changed in the last 10 years. So you do want to use it as a, a living document and they can be so much fun. They can be colorful. Shall I show you my latest vision board? Absolutely. All right, I have it right here. Great. Uh, so this is one that I was actually working on on uh, Thanksgiving. And right in the center, it's got the word energy. So this is how I want to feel when I am, you know, so the two little uh, toucans, those birds represent my, my husband and I. The hands to me represent creative collaboration in the community. There we have a photo of, of, of people moving and dancing and again, you know, so important to me that movement is my medicine. So this is, and you know, and I want to feel affirmed. So good job, way to go. So this is the, you know, the way I want to feel. And my focus is really on the theme of, of, of energy. And of course I love the color green because green is health and vitality. So this is just a, a little one, the current one that, that I'm working on. But, and it's going to go up in my office when it's completed so that when I look at it, I'm just reminded and I am refreshed with energy and that the feeling that I want to evoke is that the things and people in my life add to positive energy, do not drain me of energy. Yeah. What can you say to people, you touched on it, at the beginning, we we're talking about the pandemic. Obviously, we're in unprecedented times, Dr. Penn. What can you say to some people or to people that are struggling with their mental health um, and they feel like, oh, it just feels like it's ongoing. What can you say to them to to get this this positive feelings back and let them know that you know it's not as dire, hopefully, as you know, you know, as they think it is. Well, and again, the thing is, we as people, it is our tendency to get caught up in the external. So a lot of that, we don't have control over where this, you can't even see the virus. So you have no control over where it's going. You do have some recommend uh, recommendations to follow. I would say follow those guidelines. So you want to wash your hands, you want to wear a mask, and you want to watch your distance. So these are some external things that you could do. But in the meantime, what you really want to do is you want to watch your mind. You want to watch your thoughts. You want to begin to cultivate your mind as your best friend. So, you know, hey, forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but again, this is the time to learn how to be in silence. This is the time to really learn how to use prayer and meditation in a very proactive way. And I like to say it's the practical application of meditation and mindfulness that is so important now to help you build these self-regulatory skills and these skills of resilience. And again, movement is so important. So this is the time that you do, if you, if you haven't studied Qigong, you hate exercise, this is the non-exercisers form of movement because it is so gentle. You could do yoga, you could take walks. So 
Moving air and ventilation is one of the best ways to protect against the virus. So if you can get outside wherever you are, and, and it doesn't even have to be a long walk, but taking a short walk. If you're gonna you know, run into people, you know, have your mask. And here's something that I do recommend that can really help people, again, in a very practical way. Start a gratitude journal. Start a gratitude journal. Just notice the things that you are grateful for things that you are grateful for. Here's a little uh, tip and it's three questions and maybe take this, you to do this 10 minutes before you go to bed at night. What surprised me today? What touched my heart? And what inspired me? So what surprised me? What touched my heart? And what inspired me? And this is something that I got from Rachel Naomi Remen and you know her wonderful book, Kitchen Table Wisdom, and, and her approach to, to working with trauma and working with individuals. So I give full credit for those three questions. But it, it is a delightful way to either just get yourself into gratitude. Gratitude, I call it the magic emotion. It is very difficult to be sad and grateful to be angry and grateful, to be uh, dismissive and grateful. So gratitude kind of pulls it all together. And again, this is a wonderful way to go to bed at night because it is going to help uncouple some of those fear processes, which is the amygdala. And that's the job of the amygdala to keep us a little bit fearful because, you know, you don't want to step out in front of the on, oncoming traffic. So the amygdala serves to keep us alive. What happens is we can't get uncoupled from the fear. So we become, you know, it becomes overactive and we keep acting like we're come, stepping into ongoing traffic as opposed to, you know, there's no ongoing traffic now. I'm safe. It's time for me to, to rest for the night. Also, take a diet from the news. Don't turn on the news five minutes before you're going to go to bed. You know, that's just going to, that's just going to kick up the amygdala. That's going to kick up the sympathetic nervous system and it's going to interfere with your sleep. You want to do things, you know, your gratitude practice, getting ready for bed, settling down, turning off the electronics, hopefully an hour before you go to bed and then getting a good full night's sleep. And if you wake up for any reason, that's when you can try a little a bit of meditative techniques. So turn on the lights and get the mind going again, but you know, come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to noticing just even the rise and fall of your own breath. Do that for three to 10 breaths. All of those things, can really, really help settle you in these very unsettling times. Wonderful, wonderful messaging. Thank you so much, Dr. Penn. Um, so how can people find you? All right, well, there's a number of ways that people can find me. I would love for people to visit my website, which is www drcarolpenn.com that's d r c a r o l 
P-E-N-N.com. You click on that and scroll all the way down the bottom of the first page. You can even um, set up a complimentary discovery call with me. So calendy.com forward slash Dr. Carol Penn. That's another way. You can call me 732-842-3932. You can email me at info at Dr. Carol Penn. So I-N-F-O at D-R-C-A-R-O-L-P-E-N-N.com. No punctuation in the name there. Or Dr. Carol at drcarolpenn.com. And that's, again, that's D-R-C-A-R-O-L at D-R-C-A-R-O-L-P-E-N-N.com across all social media. Please follow me at Dr. Carol Penn, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-P-E-N-N. Um, to get my book, you can, the book has its own website, meditation in the time of madness.com. So that's the title and all the words completely spelled out. Um, I'm offering a year long course for medical professionals, mindset mastery. And that's at www.mindsetmindsetmastery.com, mindsetmasteryrx.com. And then finally, I'm offering a mindset mastery program also year long for the citizen leader. And you can go ahead and to mindsetmasteryrx.com forward slash sign S I G N hyphen up dash now two. So they're a little bit different websites, a little bit different URLs, but I would love to engage with your audience any which way, talk to you about my courses, talk to you about my book, or just, you know, if you want to talk about meditation, Qigong and mindfulness, reach out. I love being in touch. Excellent stuff, Dr. Penn. So as far as knowledgeable aging, you can find us on our YouTube page. All of our webinars are there. We update our YouTube page uh, four to five times a week. Uh, you go on to YouTube, type in knowledgeable aging. We encourage you to subscribe. Um, we also can find our podcast if you have Spotify, Apple Tunes, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.